from We First and Goal 17 Media. Welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and today I'm speaking with Wayne Suda Matamoros, who's the Managing Director of Product and Experience at Unreasonable Group, which has partnered with Barclays, the bank, to repurpose capitalism by creating a business accelerator called Unreasonable Impact. Wayne, welcome to Lead with We. Thanks, Simon. I'm really excited to be here and uh, happy to be speaking with you today. Wayne, I always love to understand where somebody has come from when they've landed in a place so meaningful as Unreasonable. So I know you studied, you were at NYU Stern School of Business. What led you to Unreasonable? Tell us about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it's difficult for anybody to predict where they're going to end up. Um, But coming out of undergrad at University of California, San Diego, um, I actually went to work for Scripps Institution of Oceanography. So really the preeminent environmental institute in the world. I mean, just doing fabulous work. And what a lot of people don't know is that the Keelan curve, which is really what sparked, you know, all of the discoveries and a lot of the knowledge around um, greenhouse gases and and the detrimental impact on the world. Charles Keeling was at Scripps. And so, you know, I was there and I was working in design and technology and I saw the beginning of the whole conversation happen and was highly motivated and and really trying to think about, you know, what else could I do? Um, After being there for about eight years, I decided to go to business school because I did start to see this potential for really business to be a part of the equation in, in addressing these things. And so I did go to NYU Stern, moved out to New York from San Diego, from having a beachfront office, you know, to being um, in the middle of a big city. Um, and initially I was looking at going directly into social impact. And um, to be completely, you know, um, transparent, what happened is I graduated from Stern with enough loans to buy a home. <laughs> and um, it just wasn't, really wasn't financially possible. But that ended up being a blessing because what happened is I went into design consulting. And so working with some of, um, you know, the, the most influential design firms in the world, working on corporate strategy, um, product and service innovation, I mean, really meaty stuff in the private sector. And I think there, you know, one is that I got really steeped in business, um, really understood the vocabulary, how businesses work, was able to influence a lot and work with, you know, C-suites and boards. Um, but really with my sight still looking towards impact at some point. And so, you know, after I guess it was about 12 years or so, um, I had started kind of making my way with um, Fjord, which is part of Accenture, um, you know, massive consultancy. I started working on NGO and nonprofit projects with them and then finally made the decision that I, I wanted to go back towards impact. I could afford it. I had learned a lot of knowledge that I wanted to apply to it and, and I was just ready. And um, as I was looking around, I was looking at a lot of really reputable NGOs and nonprofits. And then all of a sudden I got in contact with Unreasonable. Um, And it was actually through somebody uh, that I know very well at Accenture. And they said, you need to talk to this guy. So um, I talked with Coleman, who is one of the managing directors. And then after that, I spoke with Daniel Epstein, who's the founder of Unreasonable. And it was one of these situations where by the end of the call, I knew I had to join. He laid out this vision of this idea of repurposing capitalism in a way that was actually going to be beneficial to the world, that was going to change the entire structure of of the way businesses operate. And the way that he spoke about it was so tangible and it was so real that by the end of the first call with him, I didn't know what I was signing up for, to be honest, but I just knew that I had to do it and it had to be with unreasonable. I, I love that. I mean, it's so interesting if we, you know, the benefit of hindsight, we look at our life journeys and we see that you had a deep experience in the problem. Then you had you had an experience of the solution and the power concentration in business. And then that led you to where you are today. 
but also equally powerful is just, you know, the attraction of almost the mindset of something like an unreasonable group. Right. Like, you know, that appeals to you on a personal level. Like, would you characterize yourself that way? Would you say that when you heard about what the company's doing, you thought that that was needed in the world? What was it about the whole idea of being unreasonable that just felt right to you? I think that that term, it's not just a marketing gimmick. Um, I think that right now we are in such a place, especially when you look at the environment, um, where reasonable solutions are not going to cut it. Um, and I think that the ambition um, of being unreasonable and really just aiming for something, I mean, when we talk about repurposing capitalism, we're talking about a, you know, a construct that has existed for hundreds of years. But we don't talk about that in just like really a, a way that it's just rhetoric or it just sounds good. I mean, you know, when we talk about it internally, we talk about it with Daniel, we really talk about how we can shift markets. And so I think for me, when, when I think about being unreasonable, um, I first of all think about what our mission is and, and how do we stay true to that and how do we make sure that we are really going to have, you know, an abnormal impact on the world. I mean, just really above and beyond what we think is possible. And then even more so, um, you know, when I, I talk to the ventures, uh, we refer to them as our fellows, the founders, we call them our fellows. Um, and I listen to them speak and I look at their credentials and I look at what their ideas are. Um, it's so unreasonable. I mean, it's just, it's so far-fetched. I, I, you know, for, there's this great example. We talk a lot about them because they're really a potentially unicorn, which is air protein, which literally captures carbon dioxide, a greenhouse gas, and converts it into edible chicken. And um, I remember on, um, she was raising, um, Dr. Lisa Dyson, brilliant, brilliant leader. And she was raising, and so I posted something on LinkedIn and somebody wrote as the first comment was, ha ha ha, is this April Fool's? Right. Because it was, you know, this concept of converting um, you know, a greenhouse gas into edible chicken. And I think if you were to look at, at a lot of our ventures and, and speak to a lot of our fellows, you know, you would have that moment of just thinking like, wait a minute, this, this can't be real. This is, this, is, this is too far out there. And I want to point back to something that you said there, which is so important. It's not just being unreasonable as a disposition. It's the solutions we're providing today, the, how reasonable they are, how considered, how incremental they are, right. is not going to get us where we need to go. We need to, to patent interrupt. We need to disrupt. We need to be uncomfortable. We need to, pardon the French, you know, really annoy people and get, make them angry in as much as it's going to take them out of their comfort zone. And, yeah. and, and you mentioned of repurposing capitalism. You know, often this gets confused with socialism or communism. And, and, it, and is this going against the fundamental tenets of capitalism? But capitalism itself is very fungible and it's evolved over the decades. And this is really just talking about reprioritizing what's important within it, above and beyond the shift from shareholder to stakeholder capitalism, to be even more unreasonable in terms of what we expect of ourselves. So can you give us a sense of what do you mean by being unreasonable through the lens of capitalism to kind of accelerate and scale our solutions? Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because if you think about capitalism and in its original form, it, there was also supposed to be a social good component. You know, it really was about leveraging markets, but then there was a social good component that somewhere along the lines got lost. And it's something that for, you know, especially if you were to look at from the 80s up until now, um, the social good component, maybe a little bit in the marketing, but in terms of a business model was not there. And so I think when we talk about being unreasonable and we look at something like repurposing capitalism, we're really looking at, you know, how do you make social environmental good core components of the business model? And it's one of the things that with our fellows, when we're, when we're recruiting and we're bringing people into the programs, 
we, it's not just about you know putting an extra 10% as a donation. These businesses depend on the impact that they have. Their business model is, is really, it's, you know, at its foundation is some aspect of environmental or social good. And this is something that, you know, unfortunately shouldn't be, you know, I wish it wasn't as radical um, as it is, but, but it is radical. And, and I think that, you know, in our support of them, part of what we help them do is, is to stay true to that purpose and to make sure that they can continue to have that impact. And, um, you know, when we talk about this, and this is, a, you know, often what we call kind of like our community side or the whole accelerator side of our business. But we also have another part, which is the investment arm. And um, we have something which is called um, Unreasonable Collective, which is part of our investment. And this is where we're actually essentially creating a collective that allows people to be able to invest directly in the companies. And everything about that is unreasonable as well. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to invite in people who normally are not part of investing. Um, so, you know, we have really high diversity targets um, that we've been hitting. So, you know, we're always looking at 50% and above women and, and people of color to be a part of this. You know, we allow different dollar figures so that other people can get in. So even, even at the core, you know, something as cut and dry as capital and capital raising, we're trying to change what that looks like. So, I mean, I think across every angle, we're trying to have that impact. And I think that's a really important point for anyone who's listening to this that wants to make a, a difference out there. You've got, to be, you've got to pull that whole idea, in your case, unreasonable, through the entire kind of value chain or value proposition of the organization. Unreasonable in expectations, unreasonable in terms of your process and diversity expectations, unreasonable in terms of the aspiration. Like you've really got to pull it all the way through. And I want to step back, Wayne, for a second and sort of explain to folks, what is the unreasonable group? Fundamentally, what does it do? And just to give people a sense of this, they're massive. I mean, you've invested six, over $6.5 billion in over 277 companies in over 48 countries. You have nine, almost 1,000 mentors now, and you have these different areas around education, energy, water, health, tech. So give us a sense of who on earth the Unreasonable Group is and what it literally does. Yeah, absolutely. And just, to, just for, for clarity, so the, the, um, you know, the $6 billion five, six billion dollars isn't our direct investment. It's the connections we've made that have brought that was have helped to bring that investment to our fellows. Got it. We're 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 actually quite unique in that, um, as I mentioned, we're part accelerator in that what we do is we bring together a cohort of, of brilliant founders. And what we do is we give them lifelong support. So if we were to take the Barclays examples, which really has been our anchor partner, they've been with us the whole time and have just been absolutely pivotal to um, our success and our growth. Um, Barclays came to us and said that they wanted to have an impact on, on job growth as well as the kind of the green economy and, and really on the world. So what we did is we worked with Barclays in order to, order to determine what is it that we could do together. So working with Barclays, we went out and we found these incredible entrepreneurs that were just doing things that were just above and beyond what you could imagine. And, and part of what differentiates us in that is that they're not they're not startup startups. We're not talking about two people in a garage. We're not even talking about 10 people in a shared office space. We're talking about companies that are actually have established prod products. They have revenue coming in. And really we call them, and, it, and it's, we say it loosely, but growth stage, meaning that they've reached this point where they're stable and you know, by most uh, measurements, you know, they're profitable and they're looking to get to that next stage. And um, the, when I talk about this being a differentiator, um, the real rationale behind that, which I think is important, we want them to compete with the big boys. You know, what, what we're looking for is giant slayers. 
Uh, when we look at some of the industries out there that have just for decades and decades been destroying the earth and behaving in ways that have been completely irresponsible and have dominated industries and set standards. I mean, Rebecca Henderson, for instance, in, in one of your earlier podcasts, she was talking about the fashion industry and about clothing and about how just just a, just a wasteful, wasteful ind industry it is. And um, we're looking for the disruptors to that. I mean, we have Natural Fiber Welding, which is a company that's out of Illinois, and um, they're making 100% plant-based fibers. They have partnerships now. They're working with BMW, um, Ralph Lauren. I mean, they're partnering. And they, what they want to do is they want to be able to compete at the highest levels with the biggest providers of fabrics, which are primarily, you know, what we're wearing right now is primarily petroleum. You know, it's a, it's a mixture of, of materials, but there's some petroleum base in it. And so you're still talking about oil going into clothing or even the fabric on our chairs. And so a company like Natural Fiber Welding, they're actually looking at competing at that level. Like they want to get to that point where they're actually going toe to toe with whoever it might be to say, hey, Porsche, instead of making your interiors with this petroleum based upholstery, what about if we give you this 100% plant based and to come in at a cost and at a level of quality to compete? So that's the whole part, as I was saying, saying, so what, you know, what we wanted, what we do in that instance is we form a community around these ventures. So we bring in these, um, these founders, these fellows into the cohort, and then we bring in all of these incredible mentors. And, you know, yes, we have, you know, a lot of recognizable names. Seth Godin shows up often, Tom Chi, one of the founders of Google Glass, Jeff Hoffman, one of the founders of Expedia you know, um, people like that. But then we also have all of these different people in the network that come from different industries. We have investors, we have designers, we have marketers. And essentially they swarm around the fellows and, and ask them, how can we help you solve your hardest problems? How can we help you succeed? And, and that's where we often talk about us trying to give our fellows an unfair competitive advantage. And um, unfair sounds wrong, but in reality, so many of the industries have been dominated by companies who have been very unfair in the wrong way. And so we want our founders, we want our ventures to be able to compete. And if that means giving them an unfair advantage, which is very reasonable, <laughs> you know, we're, that's what we want to do. We want them to be up there. We want them to be competing um, at the highest level. So really everything we do is around the fellow. And so while we have, as I mentioned, the whole community aspect of trying to help them and connect them with capital, with community, we also now, you know, with the investment team are starting to also directly find ways to give them capital because the capital is what keeps the lights on. And so, you know, we've realized that that is a massive need of these companies in addition to having the support um, and, and the network of other founders that they can lean on. I'm fascinated about the partnership with Barclays because it is the power of capital, getting behind companies that are impactful how did that partnership come about and what are the goals specific to that? Yeah, so that was interesting because we've now partnered, partnered with them for, I believe, five years. So it was before my time. But, um, you know, the, the, the lore um, carries on. And, and Daniel, um, our founder, was really instrumental in working with initially the citizenship team um, from Barclays. And so, you know, it did start, it did kind of begin with the, the small group of people within the company who are, you know, specifically their task is to go out and do good for the world. But um, so they started the program back five years ago. But what's been interesting is that over time, the evolution of the partnership has moved. Um, we're still very, very, I mean, citizenship is still our primary context. And we're, I mean, they're like, they're like BFFs, trust me. The, 
they're, they're very, very close with them. But what we've seen is that we now have people, I mean, Paul Compton, who is the head of the Global Investment Bank for Barclays, is now directly involved with what we're doing. So, I mean, we're talking about um, somebody who's really making decisions at the highest level and responsible for, I can't even tell you how many billions, if not more than billions <laughs> um, of dollars investing. I mean, he is he is there with us and, and in a way that's very real, donating time, I mean, assets, resources. And so I think, you know, with Barclays, it's just over time, we have demonstrated success. You know, we've demonstrated the way that we could bring in um, bring ventures to them, they could bring investment capital or even sometimes just the connections that they can bring and, and the credibility that they bring. Um, and over time, the partnership is strengthened, the impact is strengthened, um, and it's just become something I think even, I would say even more than, than what could have been imagined five years ago. Um, and, and we still have a ways to go. I, I couldn't agree more. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You do it and it enables success, which unlocks more success, which yeah. inspires more investment and so on. And I think sometimes we fail to realize that the hardest bit is just getting off the ground, committing to it, making that leap of faith, making that initial investment, enabling those first young companies. You know, with regards to this Barclays partnership and the Unreasonable Impact Program, what are some of the problems that they're specifically solving for? Is there sort of like a spectrum that they're focused on or do they sort of self-qualify? What type of companies are in the mix? It's quite broad, to be honest. I mean, because, um, you know, it, it is it is very much around kind of what we would call the green economy. Um, but where does that stop and start? And, so, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, there's, you know, these examples I cited in terms of 80 acres, um, you know, and, and um, Upside Foods, which was Memphis Meats, which are kind of in the, in the agriculture and, and food space. We have um, Zero Mass Water, who is essentially a company that can produce water out of the air, that, that you can set up panels and you can extract water from the air, even in the desert. They did a project for the Navajo Reservation and extract water. You know, you have, um, right now, actually, Barclays just sponsored um, a collaboration grant for us. And um, the, the alumni fellows came together and we have um, a company called Lancetech and another one which is called 12, Lancetech, um, and 12 both essentially do carbon capture and convert it into usable molecules. But they teamed up based on this grant and they're going to be producing PPE. And so they're going to actually, again, something sounds science fiction like, but capture um, CO2 from the atmosphere and convert it into something that's going to be useful for the current COVID situation. So this is the whole Barclays COVID grants that they sponsored. So, I mean, th this is where the, these intractable problems are so interconnected, you know, and, and whether it's fashion, whether it's agriculture, whether it's, um, you know, energy and fuel production, all of these things just link. And so, you know, yes, um, there, there is a, um, a focus in theory, but in reality, when you bring a company that's doing something that's truly transformational, it's easy to convince and to say, hey, maybe we weren't in agriculture so much, but look at 80 acres. They're, they're growing healthy food in the most sustainable manner possible. And, and this affects how many millions of people who don't have access to it. Um, and so, yeah, so the boundaries are quite fuzzy, I would say. And, you know, for those listening, to your point, it can sometimes sound like science fiction. You're kind of like, wait, we're making chicken out of air? How does that even work? <laughs> Um, but I think, can you give us a sense of the shape of what it looks like? Because what I'm hearing is that business has really been at cross purposes with humanity and the planet for a long time, if we really oversimplify. And now we're looking to repurpose business to better serve humanity and the planet and therefore our future. 
And a lot of the insights that we can leverage to that end are in the inherent wisdom of the natural world as it's evolved over millions of years and so on. And we're looking to learn from that and unlock these new ways. But really the larger point is that these problems we're solving for are actually massive marketplace opportunities in disguise waiting to be discovered. Would you, would you say that's fair? No, absolutely. I mean, um, again, I was uh, watching one of your uh, podcasts earlier and, and there was a figure, I believe it was $12 trillion opportunity to solve the, the SDGs, uh, um, Sustainable Development Goals. Um, I mean, that's money. I mean, I, I can't even think of another industry who, who had that big of a potential um, revenue flow, you could say. And so, I mean, this is, this is something where we're at this point right now where it's just taking off. But if you were to think about the size of that pot, you know, $12 trillion globally and the potential, um, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, if that doesn't inspire somebody to become an entrepreneur, I don't know what does. I mean, right. you know, what other, what other industry could you think of? Um, you know, I would even say even more so software, for instance, or, or um, you know, any sort of platform. Um, the growth potential there is just unheard of. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're seeing it and we're seeing countries that are investing in it. We're seeing, um, you know, really kind of solid steps in terms of policy um, in order to make this possible. And I think part of it, you know, is um, think, rethinking the way things are done. I mean, rethinking much more reasonable ways. Um, and it, but it is, there's going to be a lot of disruption. You know, there, there has to be. A lot of industries have made it, um, they put up walls, they put up boundaries in order to allow these things to happen. And, and, you know, we have, we sometimes have these technologies that come through, um, our, our programs where it was based off of an old technology. I mean, you know, electric cars were around decades and decades ago, but they were just not allowed to flourish. But I think right now the tide is changing where government policy is, is they're setting targets now saying, no, we're going to have X percentage of electric vehicles. So I think, you know, taking down these barriers is going to be opening up markets in, in, in big ways. And I think that these companies, um, like I said, these radical companies, these unreasonable companies, whether they're part of our program or not, but companies that are out there that are really pushing into new territories, rethinking the way things are done, um, you know, together with investors who are seeing this opportunity. And, you know, we always want, we always hope the investor has their heart in the right place and really is impact minded. But I think even a lot of smart investors who see the economic opportunity and if they don't give a shit about the impact, but they're investing in the right thing, I don't know that I'm going to complain. Well, you know, we're, we're going to make sure their money goes to something good. Something good is something profitable. You know, you've got to meet them where they are. And as they have yeah. more experience, not only of the financial rewards, but the impact for, you know, rewards and they can lean into that as well. But here's what keeps me up at night, Wayne, and, it, and it's preoccupied myself for the last you know, the last four years, which is we're not moving far enough, fast enough. And obviously the fundamental premise of Unreasonable is to address that. But I know you've got a program called Impact Squared, and I'd like to understand that more because it's kind of like there's one shift from kind of doing less bad to more good, but there's a much faster shift that needs to happen if we're going to meet these challenges we face in time because these timelines are contracting towards us. So tell us about Impact Squared. Like, how are you exponentially taking this to the next level? Yeah, I mean, Impact Squared, as you said, it's just all about trying to accelerate this. And this is where a lot of the collaborations come in, because what we found, as I mentioned before, with 12 and with Lanta Tech, um, that sometimes our companies are, are very strong in their industry and in their niche. But when they start to bridge across and they, try to, they start to connect with each other is when the real magic happens. 
Um, you know, I mean, I think that, um, you know, with 12 and Lensatech, two technologies, which they could be competitors, but instead they've actually decided to join up, you know, and they've decided to do something together that's going to have, you know, potentially life-saving impact across the globe. And so I think the idea is how can we start now to form these networks and, and kind of collaborations between, you know, radical entrepreneurs that are doing things so that they can come up with even more. So the idea is, you know, bring them together and have them do magic that goes above and beyond what, what they could have expected and what we could have hoped for. From the sort of pattern recognition you get when you look across all the different companies that Unreasonable Group has invested in, give me two or three examples of what are those commonalities they have, those common characteristics that make them successful, A, to be part of your program, but B, to be solving for these big issues. So just some defining qualities that you've seen across these companies. And then also the type of support that you provide for them. What are the typical ways that it shows up? How do you help them grow? Um, as I mentioned before, is one is impact at the core of what they do. Um, again, it can't just be something that's a secondary effect. It has to really be um, central to their business model, you know, to the point that their success is dependent on the impact that they can have. Um, so, I mean, I think that's one. And I think with that, what we see is passion. Um, is that, you know, I think by their nature, entrepreneurs have passion. But um, when they come, it's not just this passion for their business, but it's this dual passion for, for you know, they in the same sentence, they talk about profitability, you know, and about EBITDA and everything. And then in the next sentence, they're talking about how many people they've actually had an impact on. So really, there's this, you know, parallel passion that they bring and and, and which is, um, which is, uh, you know, as I said, we look for it, but it's also, it's difficult. And, and this is to get to your second point uh, around how we support just by connecting like-minded entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who I'm telling you, like we have people who are like PhDs in physics from MIT, cardiologists, uh, you know, the, the, the founders of Upside Foods. I mean, we have people who are absolutely brilliant. They could have just gone the commercial route easily. And who knows, they, they might have already had their business, you know, um, listed on the market. But I mean, um, it really is that, that fundamental belief and, and bringing that brilliance and meeting other people like them that have both the brilliance and the belief. So a lot of the support that we do, it's interesting. It's we facilitate the connections between them. And often what we found is that two entrepreneurs who are, who are impact, you know, have impact ventures, they get together and all of a sudden they can talk about these things that they've never been able to talk about in another accelerator. Every other accelerator has, you know, hacking your way to growth or, you know, everything is just about the business and that's important. They have to be viable businesses. But when they start talking about the fact that, you know, I could cut my costs um, and I could, you know, outcompete some of my competitors, but that would actually mean that I couldn't source from a sustainable um, supplier. And, um, and that is, that is a conversation that instead of saying, well, obviously your stakeholders would be happier and your shareholders would be happier because that would increase your profitability. Instead, you have somebody that's sitting across from you saying, don't do it. You won't be able to look at yourself in the mirror. You know, and, and things happen in our programs that don't happen. I mean, there was, a, there was one where a few years ago where um, there was an entrepreneur who, who was you know, very dedicated, but getting to the point where he was finding it really difficult to continue with the purpose as well as the, the business. And he was actually convinced through the program to wind his business down. 
And we don't see that as a bad thing. In any other accelerator, that would be absolute failure. That would be seen as like, what are you doing? You, you failed. For us, that was actually the best decision for his well-being and as well for really the purpose of, of what we wanted to help him do. And, and so I think that's, it, it's, it's often, you know, we do, we provide, you know, brain trust where we bring together all of these brilliant mentors in order to solve a problem. We have master classes where we have luminaries speak to them and give them advice. And all those things provide tremendous value. But I have to say the platform or, or the community of other fellows like them that have gone through and are going through similar challenges. And as I said, these dual challenges, either one of those is a massive challenge, whether it's the impact or whether it's the financials, massive challenges. But having other people there who can actually comprehend and deeply understand how much more difficult that is than running just a business focused on profitability. Um, we often find, and a lot of the feedback we hear is, you know, it was so wonderful, wonderful to connect with other people like me going through the same challenges. And um, we, you know, we, we have some things called the fireside where, you know, they, um, the entrepreneurs will talk to our company. Um, we have this once a month and tell us where they are and what's, what's working. And, and often what they tell us is that they still get together with the same group um, that they met three or four years ago in an unreasonable impact program. And they still get together and they still talk about things that are really deep and difficult and often emotional. And, and they say that the connections they made in our programs are often the most valuable thing that could have happened to them. And, and we love that. I completely yeah. agree. As a CEO of a purposeful company, it's the peer-to-peer -peer support. When you reach out to people you know who care about the same things that make all the difference. And I want to I ask you to provoke in that unreasonable mindset those listeners who are you know, sitting there on the fence and saying, listen, we see that there's a lot of problems out there. We don't feel like we can do anything about it. There's so many forces working against us. We hear about companies being purposeful. We hear about this movement towards regenerative business where we restore the, living, the natural systems and so on. But it's really, I'm sitting on the sidelines. I'm on the fence. You know, what would you say to them based on your line of sight and the effect that the unreasonable group has had? Like, how would you encourage them or at least share with them why they should get involved? I mean, I would say from many different angles, it's interesting, I was thinking about it. The best analogy I can think of is imagine that back in, I don't know, 1994, um, you could see the entire digital revolution coming. And, um, and if you were to think about all the different ways that you could get involved in terms of the products you buy, in terms of the investments you make, in terms of the place that you choose to work, it's like that, this is what we're seeing now. I mean, it, this, this isn't hyperbole. It's like, I truly believe and, and market trends are indicating it. We're at this moment right now when, you know, when you're looking at what you're buying, how you're investing, um, even if you have 401ks or, or you know, investments through work, it's like, are you asking them where they're investing? Um, and yes, I hope that it truly is about the impact. But then, as I mentioned before, even about the potential for growth. And then, you know, for young people, too, I mean, it's, um, you know, where do you choose to work? Like, where are you going to go work? Um, what type of company is it? What is at their core? Um, I remember years ago when I was graduating, um, Patch Adams, who um, was the doctor that started the Gesundheit Institutes, um, Robin Williams played him in the movie, Patch Adams. Remember, he gave us a speech and, and he talked about, um, you know, every there were all these students here and he was saying, you can go out and work for, you know, these huge corporations that are, you know, destroying this earth. And again, this is 25 years plus, like what he said, or you can go do something meaningful. Um, you know, you can go do something so that when you're on, you know, 
when you're on your deathbed, you can look back and you can feel that you left the world in a better place. And so I think that all of these decisions that we make, um, you know, whether, whether it's purchasing, investing, working, you know, um, whatever it is that we do, we have that potential for impact. I mean, it's, it, it, it's not just about, you know, buying one product. It's, it's across all the spectrum of our life and all the different things that we could do. And, and, you know, even, and I have to say too, like, I never, ever, ever want to disparage the hard work being done by NGOs and nonprofits. You know, there's a lot of place there too to get involved and, and to do wonderful things. So, you know, that, that might be a route for many people, but in terms of the, the route that I chose and where I see this, this potential for just a rapid radical change, um, I do think that it's going to be through the business community and all of the people that are part of that community, either as, as purchasers, you know, buyers, or whether it's investors or employees. Um, I think there's going to be more than enough um, for everybody to contribute that. Wayne, thank you so much for giving us insight into something that you know has just such sort of exponential power. And it really starts with that mindset of being unreasonable. And I think it's a challenge for all of us to kind of self-disrupt and to think about how we can do things more differently, more quickly, because we need to solve for these issues as quickly as possible. So thank you for the, all the insights and thank you for the companies that you're supporting through the Unreasonable Group and Barclays and just really appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Simon. This is super fun. As I had told you, I think before we started speaking, once you get me going on this, I can't stop. It's genuine. Uh, you know, I'm excited about what I'm doing. And um, these fellows, uh, when I speak to them, every single one of them that I meet, I just think, God, if just they could make it, the world would change. Wait, if just they would make it, the world would change. There's so much potential and I'm so excited. Um, and, you know, thank you for giving us the platform to help people understand. And, you know, please, anybody who's out there, please reach out if you have questions or want to get involved in any way. We, the, the bigger our community, the more powerful it'll be. Fantastic. Thank you, Wayne. All right. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead with We. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Media, and you can always find more information about our guests in the show notes of each episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead with We on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and do share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at We First TV. And I'm excited to share that my new book, Lead with We, comes out November 9th and is available for pre-order now on Amazon, Google, and Barnes & Noble. So check it out. See you on the next episode, and until then, let's all lead with we.